0: When you have registration, it just seems to just overload and spikes it and it this time of year it gets kind of really silly. Oh, has it? now i've noticed it too to some degree i'm I'm not sure what's going on I don't know what's happening that is certainly something, and this is um something that i I try to you, you some of you would know from university, and the one thing i I've never been able to understand about college is it's not very political, so if you've got a complaint you know university, you go to your council and they go to the bat for you, and I don't find the GCSA does that much here. They don't, yeah, which I which I don't understand because something like that would be a complaint you would normally put to your, you know, your your academic council to say, you know, it's kind of shitty here. We need it fixed, and then we'll go forward with it. So I don't know why it doesn't happen here. Okay, oh, I'm recording this too. Awesome. All right, so um, take heed because this is something that students somewhat struggle with. Because it's a little bit different than you may be used to. So when you guys have been doing range of motion testing, right, to some degree, active, you're only doing active, but you're still doing it just the same. What is it you're actually measuring when you're, when you're asking someone to do range of motion and move a limb through a joint? What is it you're actually looking at? What are, you, what are you trying to decide? What are you... Okay, so you are comparing it, but what are you, what are you comparing? Okay, so what constitutes that movement? Maybe. Okay, such as. Okay, right. So you're looking at is there is there an issue between the two bones of the joint? Now is there a deformity in the joint? Are you you're looking at you know any kind of contracture, anything that tightens the uh, uh, the contractile uh, structure that crosses that joint? Um, and so forth ligaments that are holding the joint together and all those sorts of things right so a number of those things are considered to be um, c- Conscious things There is something else that happens at the joint that you haven't really talked about yet And that is something called accessory or physiological movements of the joint So when we look at a joint and we measure it There is something that happens between the two structures That you don't have any conscious control over but without this particular movement I'm going to talk about today, it will significantly change, alter, or limit the kind of range of motion a joint can have. Okay? So, we'll get to that in a second. Accessory movements are those movements within the joint and surrounding tissue that allows for full range of motion but cannot be performed actively in isolation. So, if you think about it, yeah, muscle working, joints interacting with other, each other, we can... We can isolate those and see if they're functioning appropriately. This we can't. So this is called the study of arthrokinematics. So if you think of the terminology of that, arthro is joint and kino kin- is movement. So it's the movement of the joint itself. So joint play are movements that are not under voluntary control but necessary to achieve full pain-free motion passively. So. These accessory movements, if they're not functioning properly, as I said, the patient's range of motion will be exceedingly limited. They cannot be created through active movement or contraction of muscle. So you might note that a patient's got a completely strong muscle, everything seems fine, yet they can't move the joint. So, the other one are component movements, which are involuntary obligatory joint motions occurring outside the joint. And they accompany active movements and are necessary for full pain free range of motion, such as the scapulohumeral rhythm. Have you guys taken that? Probably not. Yes? Kevin, come on, I'll take your shirt off. Oh, it's been a while. Yeah. <laughs> I was complaining the other day. He was like, I don't know why not taken off recently. I don't really want. Okay, so you're, no, you're going to turn your back to them. Okay, and what I want you to watch for the moment, come on, no, come on, come on, so everybody can see it. What I want you to watch, I'm going to ask Kevin to abduct both sides, okay? What I want you to watch is not the range of motion of his abduction. I want you to watch his relationship between the movement of his arms and then the movement of his scapula. So go ahead and abduct, continue through, and come back down again. So what have you seen there? Do it again. Do it again. What is happening at the scapula? It's rotating. Okay, that is called the humeral rhythm. For every degree of ab, for every de- two degrees of abduction, you get one degree of rotation of the scapula. So what we're saying is that if anything limits that scapular rotation, what's going to happen to his range of motion? All right. So I'm going to attempt to try to stop that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to. I'm going to come this way just a bit. Actually, let's go this way. I want you to try to abduct. Continue. Yep. Go, 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 go. Come on. That's as far as you can get. Okay? So from, a, from a, uh, what we consider a normal range of motion of abduction, you require that to happen. So anything that limits that rhythm is going to affect the range of motion that happens at the shoulder. Okay? So that is known as a component movement. Thank you. We'll be bringing you back up. So. Now, they're not exclusive, necessarily mutually exclusive. In fact, the loss of one affects the other. So that's the thing to remember. Although we isolate out things and we look at them separately, they, they all have to work together at the same time. There's this ongoing relationship between the movements. So without them, we don't get it. So what are these arthrokinematic movements? There are three. There is roll, spin, and glide. In other words, if we take these pieces of styrofoam, suggesting that this is a joint, so we have a concave component and we have a convex component, okay? So spin is rotation around a stationary axis. Short of this, give me an example of spin. What would be spin? What would be rotation around a stationary axis? That's not, no, sorry, um, we'll get out of anatomy. Just think of anything. Spin around a stationary axis. Okay, wheel of a car, steering wheel, right? Spinning around. So, in other words, there's movement, but there's not movement, right? So, it's moving, but it's not going anywhere. It's spinning around the axis. Roll is new points on one articular surface meet new points on an opposing articular surface. So this, okay, this is spin, yes? This is roll, okay? So when we look at the two of them, spin is the stationary axis, and roll is different points touching at any time. Everybody got that? The last one is glide. Same point on one articular surface encounters new points on the opposing articular surface. So spin, roll, and glide. All right? Those are what happens when a simple joint like the shoulder just wants to do a particular movement. If I didn't have spin, so let's say this represents the shoulder, and this is my arm, and I'm going to abduct, right? If I didn't have spin and only roll, what would happen to the humeral head? If I didn't have spin and only roll in this relationship, so this is the moving part, right? This is the head of the humerus. This is the glenoid fossa of the scapula. If I had roll, what's going to happen? It would do this, correct? That's a problem, isn't it? Okay, But there is roll. There has to be roll, right? So it's spin. So what happens is, for it to function properly with abduction, we're getting that, all right? So anything that would affect that ability is going to limit the range of motion, very similar to what you saw in Kevin's scapula, when I forcefully locked it. Does everybody understand that? So if I use it in the this model, then if I just roll, I'm going to jam up against... Uh, what am I was doing here? backwards if i roll then i'm going to jam my humerus up into my acromion so i need to spin so that i get the full range everybody got that it would be the same this way right no yeah well i know i'm using the scapula like kevin that's another form of um of motion of of um of um a component motion But I can use it at the wrist. I can use it anywhere else. And we'll we'll, we'll start playing a little bit with it here shortly. That also includes flexion and extension. Right? It also includes internal and external rotation. So, again, if I rolled off an external rotation, it can't. So, it's got to spin and roll at the same time. Okay? So... Pure glide, though, never occurs because no joint surfaces are completely congruent. But fundamentally, you get glide. You need it in order to achieve full range. So we see here we have concave on convex arthrokinematics. So the concavity is fixed, and the convexity is the one that's moving. So you see how the roll wants to fall off the top, so we get a slide in that direction, which prevents the roll from going. We see it here that when the convexity is fixed and the concavity is moving, we get a roll and a slide accordingly this way. It wants to roll and pop off, right? It wants to pop off, so it slides to stay on. Same thing, spin, same idea. So I'm going to make them a little more complicated. So we've got roll, spin, and glide, okay? we need all those to make a joint function properly now as we said from a congruent point of view most cases most joints in the body are either concave or convex right so the relationship of roll glide and slide is different if we compare the convexity moving or the concavity moving so here's the rule If a moving surface is concave, the glide occurs in the same direction as the bone movement. So, if this is the guy that's moving, and I want to move the joint this way, the glide is occurring in the same direction. Does everybody see that? So, if this represents a limb and I'm adducting, then the glide is also moving in the adducted direction. Does everybody see that? Okay? If the moving surface is convex, the glide occurs in the opposite direction. So if this guy's moving, and I may be ducting, as I move up, the glide is going inferiorly as my arm moves superiorly. Does everybody see that? If this guy's moving, the glide and slide is in the same direction. If this guy's moving, the glide is in the opposite direction. How's that? Okay, so riddle me this. In the hip joint, I am going to... Let's give you a shot. I'm going to a, B duct... A, sorry, AD duct my hip okay so what direction is the slide you can talk about it amongst yourselves if you want a A, A deduct correct It's not the same direction. First thing you need to, the first thing you need to think about, ask yourself, in in this hip abduction, what's moving, a concavity or a convexity? It's a convexity. So what is the convex rule? Did you A B? A B? A B duct. I say did I say A B? Oh A D. It doesn't matter. So okay A D duct. A deduct, okay, sorry. But ultimately, your first question should be what's moving, a concavity or a convexity? So it's convexity. So what does the convex rule say? That it moves in the opposite, right? So if A deduction has the leg going down, okay, if it was only rolling, it would roll down. So if it's going down, the glide is going up, okay? So that's the that's the first thing you have to do when you're asked to think about a joint movement. What's moving, concavity or convexity? Convexity, the rule is opposite. Concavity, the rule is it's the same. How many joints are one Do you understand what I mean? Mm-hmm. But, but the, the question becomes which one's moving and which one's not, right? So in the hip, right, the ilium's fixed. So it's always the convexity that's moving, right? In the shoulder, it um, can be pretty much the same. So let's go to fingers or wrists, right? right? Uh, that's where it starts to come into play when you start looking at the interrelationships there of what's moving, which way you want it to go, right? So there are minor ones. Um, the majority, though, is... Concavities uh, tend to move, but I can convexities tend to move, but let's use the elbow. So the elbow has um, the humerus comes down, humerus comes down, sort of forms this knob, and then the ulna comes around and does that. Right? Yeah, so the ulna wraps around the distal. Humerus. What do they call the knob? I did say you humerus, didn't I? Okay, so it wraps around. So in other words, then, an example of a concavity moving would be the ulna on the humerus, right? So that's, that's what, how, the first thing you have to do is you have to ask yourself, okay, this joint is moving. What's moving? Is it convex? Is it concave? And what rule do I apply to it? Why? Because it's another form that limits range of motion. So the question becomes, if patient comes, moves the joint, and it's limited, okay, your first default at this point is, okay, what structures, contractile or soft cross that joint are affecting its range of motion, right? So it could be a muscle that crosses, a ligament that holds it, how are the bones in relationship to each other. Now you have a fourth thing you need to consider, what are, what could be affecting these, these uh, accessory movements in the joint or is there anything that's affecting the accessory movements of the joint as an example as a general rule what affects the accessory movements is the joint capsule so when I had my surgery locked in a sling for six weeks my joint capsule seized up and in doing so it prevented accessory movements from happening at my shoulder joint So my shoulder joint, I think I told you, right? My first goal was just to wash my hair. I couldn't get any further. And it was a little bit due to lack of strength, but the majority of the limitation was the joint capsule affecting the slide glide movements of my shoulder, so therefore I couldn't move. Kind (laughs) of. It's a little more complicated than that. Uh, It does involve the joint capsule. But it's actually the joint capsule that's somewhat limiting the range of motion, and then eventually the accessory movements get involved, in. because in, in frozen shoulder, abduction, external rotation are what are affected. So that means something you're going to learn next semester is every joint in the human body has a capsular pattern when the capsule is 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 um, is injured, and every joint in the body <coughs> has something called a closed-packed position and an open-packed position. In other words. A position where the two surface, articular surfaces are really jammed, and a position where the articular surfaces are slightly far apart from each other. Okay, and the capsule has an effect on that. So generally, if you're into a capsular pattern, you're you're forcing the two articular pieces together, and they just don't function very well. But ultimately, so I have one of these. um, For those who who kind of aren't sure, this represents your. Convexity and this your concavity and this represents your convexity. So you can see that if I move the convexity which way the glide's going, and you can see which way the glide's going if I move the concavity. Same direction if it's concave, opposite direction if it's convex. Same direction if it's concave. Opposite direction if it's convex. Anybody here at joint mobilizations? physio, yeah. where they you know grab your joint, pull it, and then they're cranking your joint through. These are, joint mobilizations are completely in, and, and entirely based on this theory. So if I find that someone's got a capsular pattern and accessory movements are limited in the joint, my mode of treatment is joint mobilizations. I actually force the glide. Okay, come on, up again, take your shirt off. So another example of limitation of an accessory movement of a joint again, is the acromioclavicular joint. So we talked about the scapulohumeral relationship in abduction. The other thing that has to happen, there has to be some movement here at the acromioclavicular joint in order for the shoulder to move as well. So if you can just watch, you see how much I'm moving it? It's a slight glide, right? So I need that to occur, bend forward just a bit, so they can keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. So you can see it kind of moving, see how much it moves? You see it? Okay. So without that, again, his limitations would be quite high in terms of what he'd be able to do with that shoulder. So if I felt that that was limited, that would be my joint mobilization, would be doing that glide slide trying to increase it and get it larger and larger. The thing to take away from that is Kevin has actually no control over that relationship, right? Like he can't do anything to make it better because it's it's a it's an arthrokinematic movement that's just there on its own. I can from a passive point of view try to fix it so that it functions better, but ultimately you can do nothing about it. The same with the relationship of the humeral head and and the glenoid fossa of the scapula. Again, he has no control over it, so if things are going on in there, he can't do a whole lot to do anything about it, because it's just happening between the two of them. So again, abduction, give me your weight, would be inferior glide. A deduction would be superior glide. Now, here we go. You ready? External rotation. Talk it out. It is, but in what way? So, if it is in the opposite direction, an external rotation, which way is the hand moving? So, the glide would be anterior. Okay. So, if I wanted to promote lateral rotation, it would be an anterior glide of the humeral head. Conversely, internal rotation would be moving anteriorly even though I put it back there. It would be a posterior glide, right? So it's what it's what you want to again you take you take this rule and you have to remember. So with if a conversation comes around joint mobilizations and accessory movements, you gotta remember what's moving, convex or concave? If it's convex, if it's doing this, it's in the opposite direction. If it's concave, it's in the same direction. Okay? uh well, wrist. I actually choose this one because there's nothing on there. Right. Um if I'm going to go flexion the glide is posteriorly. If I want to go extension it has to go anteriorly. So I can it's as good not it. it does actually. Yeah. Happen. Okay, I can actually glide it and move it. You're gonna be learning these all next semester. So you're not expected to do my mobilizations this semester, but you start I think you sure by come but I want you to start thinking about this because this is going to help you to some degree. So you have to remember the slide, the roll, slide, and glide rules, and you also have to remember the rule of convexity and concavity. I can tell you there are two questions on the final about this. Questions? Because okay, There's only just teaching just the theory; it'll be far more in depth next semester.
1: So if we look at an
0: example here. So the glenohumeral joint has the concave glenoid cavity of the scapula and the convex head of the humerus. A deduction is inferior glide because the convex head is moving. A deduction is superior glide. Again, it's going down, so therefore the glide is up. And as I said, internal rotation is posterior and external is anterior, right? So it's, this is, um, until you get used to it, it's almost like a close the eyes, kind of step through the motion type of thing. You got to think about okay, it's convex and how it goes through. So you have to again have a good understanding of the joint surfaces in terms of the relationship of the two bones in that joint, and then make a determination of which one's moving and what glide you want it to go. So for me to wash my hair, I a lot of inferior glides and glides and posterior right, to get things moving. So she would actually put the joint into a stretch in the joint capsule to try to get those accessory movements back again to get me back to full range. Uh, so let's look at this one. Tibial plateau, so the top of the tibia, is concave. And, of course, the distal end of the femur is convex, the two condels. So what would knee flexion do? What, what direction would the glide be? Flexion. Which way is the lake moving? Okay. Good question. Let's just do the tibia. Okay? Let's just do the tibia. So what direction would the clampy? be? Correct. The posterior, correct. <clears throat> right. Because the leg is traveling posterior, the lower leg is traveling posterior, so two wide. Right. And then extension would be anterior. Kevin made it complicated by fixing the tibia and having the femur move. So would. So, uh, you can learn a major slide where you literally station is hip to slide, the tibia, right? That's all it is. That's all I wanted to do. No, if it's functioning properly, it's fine. So if the if the if the joint is not functioning properly, yes, it's a bit uncomfortable because you are forcing you're forcing into a limitation and trying to get into it more, maybe a little bit beyond. So yes, it is uncomfortable. Absolutely correct. Right. So you so when you take your learning about joint mobilizations next semester and the semester after. Joint mobilizations are a treatment, but they are also an assessment. So, again, if a patient comes to me and they have limitation of range of motion, I might check to see what their accessory movements are like by performing the joint mobilizations on that joint to see if there's limitation in that glide, which could be part of the reason they have. It's not the the arts are kinematic or the accessory movements aren't functioning properly. So yes, joint mobilizations are a treatment, but they're also an assessment tool. Any questions on that? Okay, that will not be on the oral part. Thank God, is that what I heard?